All right, Josh Smith here from uh, my Flat Five Studios. I'm super excited. Today's guest is <laughs> a legend. I'm I'm a, a massive fan. If you know me, you know number one, I'm a monster sports fan. But more than anything, I'm a monster Yankee fan. I'm a lifelong Yankee fan and baseball guy. And Bernie was my favorite player growing up. I just showed him. I got this for my bar mitzvah when I was 13 years old for my grandmother. My 51 jersey. It was my first ever authentic jersey, actually. Um, and, dude, I, I mean, this is such an honor for me. Uh, I, I think, I mean, I don't know. I will get into this, but I think maybe the only guy to ever be nominated for a Grammy and have a World Series ring. Is that is that real? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, for, yeah. Most of it is real. I, I was nominated for a Latin Grammy. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, I did get uh, not only one, but uh, four World Series rings. <laughs> four uh, rings, man. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I was very blessed. That's incredible. What's funny is growing up, uh, my parents had a dream because they love music and baseball. So they thought maybe I'll be, I could be the first guy to ever get in the Baseball Hall of Fame and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Well, I came up a little short. <laughs> I wasn't oh, good enough. Oh, man, there. are you kidding me? Dude, man, <laughs> I've been a huge fan of your playing you know, for years, man. So, wow, man, this is this is a great honor for me as well. Well, this, this is a major honor for me, and I promise I won't go crazy with all the baseball questions. But I'm really interested in, I know you started playing guitar when you were young, uh, mostly classical, right? Um, was it something that anyone in your family did? Was it a family influence, a music thing, or was it just something that found you on, on your own? How did the guitar find you? Well, the guitar found me, uh, you know, through my father. Uh, okay. He was a merchant marine. Uh, he, his education was through the world. In uh, one of those trips, he found uh, a guitar in Spain, and he brought it, and he sort of taught himself how to play. Uh, you know, a lot of those boleros and traditional music in Puerto Rico, he was able to play. Uh, with this nylon string Spanish guitar, and that's my first recollection of, of listening to uh, music and listening to somebody play. And, and at that point, I was about seven, eight years old, and I asked my dad if he could teach me to uh, play a little bit. And he said, yeah, of course, and he taught me my first couple of chords. And then from that moment on, I passed to, uh, you know, the, like the neighborhood uh, teacher, and he, you know, taught me for about a year. Uh, but it wasn't until I became a freshman in high school. I was a, uh, uh, I, uh, I went to a performing arts high school. Uh, my mom was an educator in the public education system in Puerto Rico for 40 years. And mm -hmm. she wanted me and my brother to be well-rounded. Uh, she didn't really care too much about the sports part of it or much about the music part of it. She wanted us to have a, a solid education. And in her mind, arts, music, and sports were, you know, obviously a, a, an integral part of that. So that was her mindset. Uh, so I uh, sort of went to this performing arts high school, but I was playing little leagues on the side. Uh, mm -hmm. And when I turned about 15, 16, uh, this scout, uh, talent searcher for the Yankees, you know, asked me uh, if I wanted to play professional baseball. And I said, eh, well, let me talk to my parents about this. <laughs> I think it's going to take me far away. But yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, I decided to play baseball. And, uh, uh, and uh, yeah, I always kept my guitar with me. Uh, but it was something that sort of my family sort of chose to uh, initially to be just more well-rounded. So back then when you were playing at performing, what's funny is that, so I went to a performing arts high school as well. And I, I played baseball all up until my freshman year of high school. I loved baseball, played Little League. And, and once guys, the velocity went up and especially once breaking balls became a thing, I couldn't hit, you know. And But I remember thinking, I was I didn't know which one I wanted to try to be was a baseball player or a guitar player. Now, obviously, I can't. It's not the same level of what you were doing. But did you have any of that little thing? Was a guitar like the th a thing at least at that time that you thought you could make a life out of? Or was it even a, a thought? No, no. I mean, uh, as a matter of fact, I never really. I mean, I thought I was going to be a musician, uh, but in order for me to be a musician, I had to pursue. You know, like maybe just go out to a conservatory or something like that, you know, where I can just get a degree and just keep it either performing or become a, a teacher or something like that. And, uh, you know, never really saw that as a viable thing. Um, uh, my parents wanted 
me to be, you know, like my brother, uh, you know, their, their dream being like a lawyer or a doctor yeah. or an engineer. Is, uh, but when I started uh, talking to them about wanting to be a professional baseball player, uh, mm -hmm. it was even between that and, and going to college. Uh, music never really was in the mix of you know, trying to pursue anything, uh, pursue it as a career. Uh, uh, and the, it wasn't until I became more of an adult that I started really uh, realizing that I have this great connection with music since I was a little kid. And I started becoming more serious about me, you know, kind of like becoming more, more of a musician uh, type, even when I was playing baseball. Yeah. So when you're a kid and that scout comes over and, and finds you, I can't imagine, you know, being in, in Puerto Rico, although, I mean, it was already relatively pretty common, I guess, to have scouts all over that area looking at players, but it still had to be such of like shock to, to, you know, have that moment of like, Hey, you want to try this, you know, and have somebody bring you to America. I think, did they, did you end up in Connecticut at like a Academy or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. That was, I mean, I mean, I have to sort of, sort of backtrack a little bit before that, uh -huh. because in, in my family, I have a, uh, two relatives to two of my uncles, my two uncles played baseball. And one of them oh, wow. uh, was a professional baseball player. But uh, unfortunately, he uh, ended up playing in the uh, deep south in the uh, in the in the 50s. Oh. Uh, so he, his experience with, uh, uh, you know, baseball in the United States, especially the culture was one that impacted him in a profound way, in a negative way. <laughs> so uh, it, it was hard uh, when we uh, started talking about this, me becoming a baseball player professionally, we uh, obviously we went for him to advise. I was like, what was your experience? And he was like, do not go, absolutely not, do yeah. not. <laughs> you know, he was very adamant because of his uh, obviously uh, experience. Uh, yeah. But, you know, the scout that, you know, Simon, the organization, you know, say, well, these, those were, you know, those times and the things are a lot different right now. So uh, it, it was, you know, it was kind of a difficult decision to make. Uh, but one that once I uh, made up my mind, uh, I had to pursue it and uh, take it all the way to the end. So uh, it was uh, I, it was not a, a, an opportunity for me to try to see if, you know, uh, if I was going to fail or not. It was just make it or break it. Uh, so at that point, but I always, you know, the, the funny thing about it is that I always kept music in my heart and I always had a guitar with me. I always took it to my bus rides, my plane rides and uh, everywhere that I, that I was playing baseball. I always had a guitar in my locker room. That's cool, man. What did, what did your parents think when it became obvious now? Like, okay, you probably weren't going to go to college or anything like that. Were they like hesitant about it at all or a hundred percent supportive? Well, my mom was very hesitant about it. I think even in my first couple of years in the minor leagues, because she came from such a strong academic background, is that even if you become a major leaguer, you still need your education. You still need to know how to balance a checkbook. You still need to know how to speak in public. You know, you still need to do all these things that uh, not going to college is going to limit you. Uh, you know, what happens after baseball? What happens if you don't make it to the, to the big leagues, you know? So she was always kind of like a visionary thinking and trying to get me to think, you know, the safest way uh, where I can make a living. Uh, my dad, on the opposite hand, <laughs> was like, dude, you go, <laughs> you do this, you know. And uh, if, you, if you don't make it, you can always go back and, and finish your, your college degree. But now you have this opportunity. So let, let's take advantage of it while you're young and, and have the, the energy. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it, it was kind of an interesting uh, thing. But uh, once I made the decision to go full time into baseball, then uh, uh, obviously it, it took me about five and a half years, you know, in the minor league system to make it to the big leagues. And, but then once I was there uh, and I started really, you know, paying all their debt and, and being really nice, you know, to them, uh, obviously well deserved. Uh, they said, OK, maybe you maybe we made the right decision with this. Baseball right thing. <laughs> was it was it a culture shock when you first came over and started, you know, living here full time? I mean, I. You, you did you live in New York like when when you were one for a bit or something like that? Yeah, yeah. but I have no recollection of that you time. I think most of my memories as a child are are from Puerto Rico. I'm born and raised, and I came here for the first time uh, right after I signed uh, to play professional baseball. So I had, uh, like you said, well said. It was a culture shock. Uh, not only being, uh, you know, if I was going to go to a college to have a college experience, you know, maybe overseas, it would have been one thing. 
but just going right into the workforce, you know, being in a yeah. highly competitive environment uh, as a 17 year old, uh, you know, it, it was, you know, not knowing about the, not only about the culture, but knowing about life and uh, growing oh, yeah. up uh, in that environment. Yeah. You got to be surrounded by guys who are li lifetime minor leaguers, you know, adult yeah. men, you know what I mean? Like, in, you're, you're a kid. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of young people, uh, and, uh, you know, like maybe, uh, uh, perhaps like 50 to a hundred people to fill maybe 10 positions, yeah. uh, in all the minor league teams. And, uh, it was highly competitive, you know, very, very intense. Uh, uh, and you kind of, you have to grow up, uh, in a hurry. Uh, so, you know, that, that uh, thing taught me a lot about life, taught me a lot about, you know, who your friends are, who your friends, you know, think that they are, and, you know, your choice about, you know, surrounding yourself with people that are not going to bring you down with them, uh, you know, uh, succumbing to all that peer pressure and all that stuff. It was certainly a, a great growing experience. And uh, to have that, uh, uh, you know, in the backdrop of, of trying to make it to the big leagues, you know, because that's the ultimate goal for everybody. Whether you're in the, in the minor leagues for one or two years or 10 or 15, you know, you always, you're always longing for that opportunity to make it to the big leagues. And it took me five and a half years uh, and uh, a, a lot of uh, blood, sweat and tears, you know, once, once make it and then trying to stay in for, for a long time. I can't imagine. The, I mean, the, well, I guess I can't imagine the amount of hard work that goes into it just in a different way. But were you uh, were you able to I mean, OK, backtracking a little bit. Did you ever before, you know, you started playing professionally, you know, once your career wrapped up, did you ever play any gigs, any gigs like with friends or have band with your high school mates or anything like that? You mean before I, I became a professional baseball player? Yeah. No, or, no. or during. Did you ever have any like any bits of like, you know, gigging situations or garage bands or things like that? Uh, no, I mean, I, I wow. have maybe all my most of my musical experiences that I encountered when I was a kid, you know, prior to, you know, signing to play professional baseball, were in school. We're in the, in the performing arts high school. We had like jam sessions and, you know, like, you know, like little jam bands. I was uh, part of a, a couple of uh, uh, ensembles in, within the school. Uh, we had like a guitar and a quattro ensemble. We had like a, a strings ensemble that I was part of. And we had an opportunity to perform in different, like, you know, uh, governmental agencies okay. and going through, you know, making, you know, those were like the, our little gigs. I remember like strolling in restaurants, you know, for like St. Valentine's, you know, like, you know, going and playing in, through tables as a, as a high schooler, uh, just, you know, to get some, some extra change or whatever. But yeah, I mean, it was, it was fun. Uh, and uh, when you don't know any better, you think you're, you know, you're, you're at top of the world. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're right. You feel any of those. I remember my first, like, I guess my first public performance you know like a, the school talent show or whatever when i was six or seven and i played uh the beatles michelle my bell and it was like you know the second people clap for you playing guitar it's like yep yeah, i'm hooked for life you know what i mean that's it you know yeah yeah amazing man what and what kind of music were you into you know during the formative years like like what did your parents listen to and, and what were you listening to my parents were very eclectic in their in their music choices. Uh, every anything from classical to, I mean, we I guess we could call it you know the classical music of uh, Puerto Rico at the time. You know, we had this things called danzas, where uh, it was almost like uh, uh, you could probably talk about uh, maybe stride piano or things like that. You know, uh, where you had uh, composers you know writing for. Uh, you know, like a traditional uh, music Puerto Rico ensemble, you know, a guitar and, and quattro, maybe violin and uh, maybe a quartet. Uh, and uh, there are a, a ton of those, you know, uh, they call it danzas and boleros that were made uh, in the 17th, 18th uh, century that my parents used to love listen to, you know, mm -hmm. interpretations of that music, you know, for like local artists, you know, that music that has sort of uh, transcend uh, centuries. Uh, because it has been so good, and uh, you know, it's like that, like the old guard music, like the old school music. You know, music that my parents just dance in the living room with. You know, uh, yeah. I kind of grew up listening to that kind of music, especially mm -hmm. in Christmas time, which is you know obviously the most festive time. Uh, you get all this, you know, like what they call parrandas, 
where you know we get a group of people with uh, uh, instruments that go to your house and kind of crash into your house, and then you dress up and you go with them and crash into another house, and that goes all the way to like three, four in the morning, and then the last house has this like feast, you know, uh, and everybody kind of like finishes the night just kind of half drunk, you know, half playing music, half eating, you know. It, it, I mean, it, that's Christmas in Puerto Rico. So uh, uh, I grew up listening to all that uh, music, you know, for that time of the year. Uh, and uh, uh, and then when I went to uh, this performing arts high school, they were a little bit uh, sort of on the snooty side. They wanted to say, hey, the classical, you know, the uh, Western classical music, you know, is the is the you know the the bandstand, you know, is the is the benchmark, and everything else is kind of like ah, oh, you know, whatever popular music. They kind of you know shone a little bit on it. So I kind of grew up with this dichotomy. It's like I love popular music and I love you know the music of my country. Uh, and uh, I always had to put it on this sort of uh, pedestal, you know, with Bach and Beethoven and Chopin and, you know, all those people. So, uh, and then when I came to uh, the United States, I, then I started listening to the uh, American music, you know, yeah. like all the rock and blues. And uh, although I had a little bit of that in, in the performing arts high school, uh, mm -hmm. but uh, then that whole mix, uh, I started kind of like, you know, listening to me from flamenco guitar Paco de Lucia to uh, Manuel Barrecos you know this classical or Sharon Esbin you know this great yeah. classical John Williams and people like and everybody in between you know yeah. uh so uh, it, uh, you know that's the one thing that I found about guitar it's so interesting that it uh, has so many genres and it's the same sort of, sort of like the same uh you know technical way of playing the instrument but yeah, you can yeah. uh, you know uh, attribute it to so many cultures yeah Wow, man, that's that's really cool. So when I was starting to play professionally, I was a really young kid. I was, you know, 12, 13 years old, and I was fortunate to play with adults who were, number one, good, so I was able to learn a lot, but they were also really understanding and helpful in, like, you know, showing me the ropes. Uh, but they also, they understood that I was serious. They didn't treat me like a gimmick. They treated me like, a, a you know, an equal and, and told me if I was messing up, and would show me something, give me advice. When when you got to you know the baseball world in those terms, was it was it that way? Like when you first get get you know to spring training or something, and you're around the veterans or anything, is it some guys are really really cool with the kids and some aren't? Like how how, how is it yeah. in, in the baseball? Oh yeah world? yeah, it's it's the same. It's almost the same way that you describe it. Uh, yeah. But you have like every a little bit of everything. You have you know from the guys that like Don Mattingly was the captain. Yeah. Uh, and he was actually shielded me from, you know, there were yeah. some people that were, you know, trying to say, hey, this is a young whippersnapper and my job is in jeopardy, man. <laughs> you know, so it's, uh, it's, you know, like I said before, it's like a highly competitive thing. And uh, the team back in those days, the Yankees of the uh, mid to late 80s, were teams were chosen by, you know, the owner of the team had this philosophy of just putting a, a pretty good product on the field based mm -hmm. on veterans and people that were like you know and the maybe like the sunset of their careers but still you know had a name uh yeah you were so trying you to break in a, and you had kelly and tartable and all those guys yeah ahead. You, you ha yeah you have a competitive club on, on the team so that could put seats on the on the you know on, on the yeah. stadium yeah. uh and they were really changing uh you know and trading a lot of their farm system uh yeah. prospects uh, in order for them to keep getting all these, like, you know, veterans that, were, you know, make the team, you know, uh, a kind of a cult following. You know, everywhere we went on the road, we had uh, uh, followers and uh, it, it was almost like a circus slash rock show, you know, like band, rock band kind of thing. Uh, but uh, something interesting happened in, uh, in uh, the beginning of the 90s where uh, uh, Mr. Steinbrenner, George Steinbrenner, the owner of our team, uh, gets suspended. Uh, for right. a number of time, a number of years, uh, so that allowed the people that uh, was that were really dealing with the baseball, uh, uh, you know, uh, the minor leagues. They said, "Well, I mean, we're not going to get any better than we are right now. So let's take these guys that are kind of coming up uh, mm -hmm. and give them an opportunity to play with the team, and then decide whether or not we should trade them, you know, or you know, or do whatever with them." So right. that sort of opened the door for people like me, and uh, you know. Uh, uh, you know, uh, we had guys that uh, that sort of opened the door for us, like Jim Lyrics and and, and yeah. people like that. And then from there, 
they started saying, "Oh, these guys have something to offer the team, so we're gonna, you know, we're gonna give more of you guys the opportunity to come here." And that's when Mariano Rivera came, yeah. Posada, uh, uh, Andy Pettit, and yeah. obviously, uh, uh, yeah. uh, um, you know, uh, Derek Jeter had just uh, inducted him in the Hall of Fame. Uh, yeah. So that was kind of like, you know, the the, uh, the segue into giving all these guys an opportunity to be part of the core of the team, and instead of looking for outside. Man, I, I, I mean, I remember just as a fan that time period being so excited because I could feel for the, you know, I grew up, my dad and my uncle, my grandparents, massive fans. So they grew up having the Yankees be champions a lot. You know what I mean? And I had, I had yet to see it in my lifetime at that time. And Donnie was my favorite and he had never even been to the playoffs. You know what I mean? And it, it killed me. It was like, we were never there, never in there. And when, when, when your era started and guys started coming up, you could feel that it was, it was heading that way. And then when 95 came along, I was so excited for Donnie to finally be in the playoffs. And he played great that year, but I mean, obviously he was not the player he was his whole career at that point. But you, you were actually led the team in the playoffs that year, which was the, was killer. Uh, that series killed me though, but it was still, it was like, finally the ball was rolling. Cause then obviously you win the, win it all the next year, but man, I can't imagine like just that you, when you put so much effort into one thing, I, I actually, I can't imagine. And, and it pays off in the way that it did for you. Uh, just, just the amount of like, you know, when you're meant to do something and it actually works, it's, it's so freaking unbelievable. Yeah, it is. It is. It's a great experience. I mean, I, I say, you know, and now more than ever that I had the opportunity to play center fielder for the, for the New York Yankees. And that wasn't a job, man. That was, you know, some of the most uh, fun time that I've ever had in my life. Uh, and to be that blessed to have that opportunity to do that uh, and still get paid for it, you know, and, uh, and have an opportunity to go into all these championships and be part of the, the history of an organization that has been, you know, you know, known about winning and, and their tradition and excellence and all that, you know, you mentioned guys like Babe Ruth and Mickey Mantle yeah. and Joe DiMaggio and, and, you know, so on and so forth to be part of that, be considered part of that family is uh, certainly a great blessing. Uh, not What's only for me, for the people that played there too. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. A lot, I, I talked to a lot of people growing up uh, when people would try to dissuade me from being a musician professionally because, oh, you'll never make a living or this or that. And, you know, it's hard sometimes for people who aren't creative or athletic or whatever to kind of understand the, not just the drive to do something, but the feeling like it's the only choice we have. Like, this is what I'm meant to be doing is this. And, and I, I, I sometimes struggle to relate that to people who, you know, the average American who works a nine to five, that maybe the job isn't, doesn't define them as a person. Whereas, you know, if you ask me who I am, I'm a guitar player, first and foremost, like that's who I am. You know what I mean? Uh, it, it's really weird. I, I feel like it's hard sometimes for people to understand how serious the pursuit of, of it is, but also how much it is. It's like, you know, we were born to kind of do what we end up doing, you know? Yeah. I think, you know, we, uh, uh, you know, my parents, I think I was kind of, uh, uh, you know, had an opportunity to see that when I was growing up. You know, my parents were so, uh, we struggled for money a lot when we were kids. Uh, and uh, uh, my parents were always trying to figure out a way for me to make a living that I would not have to suffer the things that they have to suffer with, you know, uh, you know raising us. Uh, so they put not only emphasis on the creative side, but some creative side where you can actually make a profit out of it, you know? Uh, so that's when the whole thing sort of comes and becomes a little bit of a, a, a challenge for people. You know, do I, do I choose to make what makes me really, really happy, but maybe not being able to make that big of a living out of it? Or do I choose to go for the money and uh, maybe just kind of pursue that on the side, you know, when I have time? And uh, it, it is, I mean, it, it's a tough decision for people, you know, to have to, I don't know if the how right word is settle, but there's a, a certain amount of compromise that you have to make, uh, especially if you have, if you have people that depend on you, you know, if you have kids, if you have people that you need to support as well, uh, it becomes not only about you, it becomes about the people that you are accountable for too. Uh, so uh, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a, a very difficult situation that people have to go through in their lives. And uh, 
you know, the few of us that are lucky enough and blessed enough to, to have able to make this decision and, and go, you know, our way, uh, we just have to be grateful uh, to have this opportunity and not take it for granted. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, every, I, I think about that every time I play guitar and then especially every time I somehow get paid for playing guitar, how freaking lucky I am that, you know, I have a roof over my head and a family and, and all that gear <laughs> and all and, and from nothing but playing music from dedicating my life to playing guitar I, and you're right it's like i don't take it for granted you know it, it's a special thing uh, it's still a struggle sometimes and yeah it's a lot of work and it's up and down but man as as any as the baseball career would be but it is yeah, it's a it's yeah. a it's a blessing no matter what you know i never felt that i had i mean i never felt i had a bad day even my yeah. worst day as a baseball player I mean, I could strike out four times and lose the game and, and boot a ball yeah. in the outfield. And I still would think, hey, you know, I'm doing a lot better than that guy that is stuck in an office, you know, uh, nine to five, you know, yeah. really struggling there, you know, creatively. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's all about taking it all in perspective and, uh, and be grateful. Uh, be, in my case, try to be grateful for all that I have. Yeah, yeah, totally. Man, when did you uh, start switch hitting? When you were a kid or not till you came here? Oh man, that that's actually a really cool question. My uh, my first year switch hitting was in my second year as a professional player. Okay. Uh, I uh, you know started playing winter baseball as a preparation to starting playing in the minors. Uh, and the scout that signed me, his name, uh, he, uh, you know, may his uh, soul rest in peace, Mr. Roberto Rivera, signed mm -hmm. me, and he said, "Well, you're fast, and uh, I think it will be an asset to your tool arsenal if you become a switch hitter." Because you you know not right now you're a right-handed hitter, but if you are hitting from the left side, first of all you got at least a step, and uh, you know you know closer to the bag, you can beat up a lot of you know ground balls and, and so on and so forth. So I started switch hitting in winter ball, but it wasn't until my second year in professional baseball where I asked uh, Mr. Buck Showalter, "Hey, uh, I've been doing this in winter ball for a little bit. Uh, do you think you know it will be a good idea for, for me to try it?" And he said, well, I'm going to go to the front office and talk to, to them about it because Roberto Kelly tried to do it and he couldn't do it. Uh, Jim Larritz tried to do it. And, and I mean, it kind of rubbed them, you know, from their time. Uh, so we're going to, you know, you, we consider you a, a good prospect. Though, so we're going to give you the opportunity to pursue that as well. And uh, I struggled with it, you know, the first year. I mean, trying to do it as a professional player playing in the minor leagues. Uh, but uh, it took a while. Uh, I mean, fortunately or unfortunately, I got injured, and that they sent me down to a, a lesser uh, league in the in the ladder. Uh, so I was able to really, really work on my left-handed swing at wow. that point. And the next year, I won a batting title uh, in uh, Class A team, and that was the thing that put me on the map. 1988, I was a uh, you know the Carolina Carolina League Class A uh, batting champion, and those guys were like, "Whoa, this guy's been uh, uh, switch hitting for two years, and he already won a batting title, so he has to be a prospect." So that's when they brought me uh, for to be a uh, in big league camp for the first time. Wow, that's so cool. So switch hitting was, I mean, it was late for you, but it was a, a big part of of your your yeah. path. Man. Yeah, really. No question. Great. No, no question about it. Not to mention the short porch out there at Yankee Stadium, I and mean, you were already in the right organization to be a lefty. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely, man. But I, I think you know, I, I took uh, a lot of uh, a lot of pleasure in hitting those liners in left center and running forever, yeah. legging yeah. all those triples, you know, in that gap, uh, as well as the home runs, you know, in, in the short porch. So yeah, speaking it, it was of, great. Speaking of the triples, how about the doubles, man? Aren't you second on the Yankees all time in doubles? I I think so. I don't know. <laughs> hey, there's gonna be a lot of people. You should look those numbers up, man. But I think you know, to me, it was like Mickey Mantle had this great line when he said one time, "Hey, if I knew uh, stolen bases were gonna be a stat, I would have stolen more." <laughs> right. uh, you know, for me, I think you know, I put a lot of uh, emphasis in, in and the only numbers that I care about were wins and losses. You know, like Derek said in those those things. Uh, uh, I mean, any kind of uh, uh, things that we would think of as an individual accolade, it was all a means to an end, you know, trying to help the club win uh, that particular day. And then just, they just keep piling up. 
and then you get, you know, you get kind of like, you know, called out, hey, you have this number of hits and doubles and triples. And it's like, yeah, I remember I won for series too, four World Series too. And uh, I mean, those are the things that you really value. Uh, wow. Uh, and yeah, I mean, that's the way that I see it, I guess. I, I when, when you're on a team, when, when everybody buys in, I guess, and the philosophy is team over individual, is it, is it when, when guys come in who don't fit, is it like, you know, just glaring guys who are all about me as opposed to team? Cause I know that feeling too, in, in the music world, you know, when you're, you got an ensemble together for a certain thing and it's not about serving the music, it's about making sure you get your shine. This guy gets his moment in the spotlight. You know, is it yeah, like that yeah, too yeah. in baseball? Well, yeah. I mean, I I think uh, you know, in baseball is actually even more prevalent because baseball is a team sport. Uh, Joe Torrey used to say this: baseball is a team sport played by individuals. Yeah. I mean, nobody's out there with you when you're in the batter's box, and nobody's <laughs> out there with you when you have to make these plays. Uh, and there's a lot of individuality that needs to happen. Everybody needs to do their part. But with that said, I always believe that there's a moment in the, in the course of every game where a player has an opportunity to do their, the right thing for the team or the mm -hmm. right thing for themselves. And that's when you get to know, you know, you know men, on, men on second base with no outs. You know, if you're trying to pull that ball, if you're a righty, you know you're playing for yourself. You know, you're not trying to bring that runner over to third. And things like that, you know, kind of make the, you know, you, you, you start telling uh, where the true colors are coming from. Uh, and uh, it, uh, it, I mean, you can tell, you know, how the, yeah. you know the team attitude, you know, towards that person is, and uh, uh, it's, it, it, it almost seems like they have no choice but to change to, you know, to get the right attitude in place. All right. So here's here's an important question. Then before we get into the ten questions, when you when you first, you know, were cemented in to being in the big leagues and you were feeling comfortable, like maybe you got your first contract, you know, second contract or whatever, and you're feeling good. What's the first serious guitar you went out and bought when you could just buy any guitar you wanted? All right, well, let me just backtrack a little bit before okay. answering that question, because if I would have felt comfortable, I would have never made it. <laughs> uh, I know it's the same thing in music, but yeah. baseball is the, the quintessential thing about that. The moment that you start feeling comfortable, being okay, I'm in this position and nobody's taking me in, you are yeah. down for the count, man. Yeah. But with yeah. that said, when I signed, you know, my, my first big league deal, uh, I went to a, 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 I don't know if I should mention this, I don't know if it's a, the Sam Ash store, the legendary oh, Sam Ash store yeah. in the city, and I got myself a, uh, a Carlos Santana PR, uh, <laughs> PRS Santana yeah. model with yeah. the Brazilian rosewood neck yeah. at yeah. the time. I think it was like uh, seven, eight grand or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sure. And uh, yeah, I don't I don't think I can travel with that guitar <laughs> anymore without being, yeah. you know, Not being without the signing certificate. Yeah. yeah, I'm going to have yeah. like a, uh, what is it? A fish and fish and life uh, time or whatever. This exactly. complicated guitar. But yeah, yeah, that was the first guitar that I got when I uh, really, I still have it. I mean, I have a whole bunch of guitars and that one is uh, really special. That's cool, man. That's really cool, man. Oh wow, dude! Wow. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's jump into these ten questions. Yes. I may uh, improvise with them slightly to adapt them. <laughs> All, All right. right. Number one, when you first started learning and playing guitar, do you remember the first lick or or riff or tune or whatever? that once you kind of figured it out, maybe it's what the first thing your dad showed you or whatever, it was what kind of lit the spark of like, man, I love this. There's no going back after that. What was the first thing that when you figured it out, you got that satisfaction from? Um, I don't know. I think it must have been something that I listened to. Uh, I think it must have been some alcoholic beverage commercial in Puerto Rico. What? And I think Jose Feliciano was doing this sort of jingle. Wow. Like, uh, yeah, it was like, I think it was like some beer commercial or something. Wow. Uh, and he had this lick, like it, it just, uh, it, in Spanish, paraphrasing, you know, like it pour, pour some Schaefer in my glass and whatever. But it, it, it was like, dun, 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 d
yeah, I can play guitar. Uh, so that I think that was the thing that sparked that that whole uh, guitar thing for me. That's amazing, man. That's amazing. Uh, all right, so number two, do you remember ever learning any solos, note for note? Were you much of a soloist back then when you were a kid? Were you learning any 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 guys' improv solos, note for note? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if there were improv solos, but the first solo that I think I really tried to learn because I thought it was like so melodic, it was this uh, Neil Sean's uh, "Who's Crying Now." Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That that was the first one. I was like, wow, man. I wish I could. I wish I could learn that. And that uh, "Back in Black" from ACDC. You know, that Ooh. was like the grip. That's crazy. Da, da, da. Yeah. yeah. What year? When? What year would that have been? Like, how old were you have been when you were working on those? I must have been. I have to be maybe early to mid eighties, perhaps. Mm. Early eighty one, eighty two, perhaps. I think. Yeah. I was in still. I was in middle school, kind of like almost going into almost going into high school. Wow. Neil Sean, man, talk about melodic soloing solos. You can sing. You know, you you don't have to hear them for ten years, and it comes on. You know it note for note without yeah. ever even playing it. Yeah. yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, that's that's what you know got me that 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 you know that time. I was like, wow, man, I can sing to this. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Uh, number three, what's the first thing you play every time you pick up a guitar? Now, do your hands just go autopilot somewhere and just play something? <laughs> uh, I'll play like an A two chord. <laughs> okay. If it's if the guitar's too. Yeah, and maybe I'll try yeah. to play through my pentatonics. You know, that's like my go-to. <laughs> yeah. What about like when you go to a music store and you want to check out a guitar to see if you like it? Is there any like little things you do to test the guitar just to see if it, if it fits for you? Yeah, I try to do like that intonation thing. You know, like the one twelfth fret thing to see mm -hmm. if that you know the kind of is any discrepancy. I try mm -hmm. to see the bass response. Uh, if, if, if the bass kind of like rattles, you know, you know, my chest a little bit, uh, mm. I play, uh, maybe like a dissonant chord, you know, like a, maybe like an E nine or so E, e major nine or something like that to try to see that rub, you know, between the E and the, uh, and the B. Uh, mm. I don't know. I try to look for sustain, you know, play a chord and let it ring, uh, yeah. you know, kind of things like that. Yeah. Wow. All right, number four, when you're just whatever, when you're driving to the store or cooking or, you know, normal day stuff is happening, what is the most frequent, like, key style song groove that just is always popping in your head? Like, for me, if I'm not doing anything, normally I will start to hear some sort of a, a shuffle or a swing, you know, whatever i'm just always hearing that and i'm always improving in my head over that what what's the most normal what what always pops in your head you know when you're oh man i do the same thing that that's that's so cool i was i thought i was crazy by doing that yeah. uh uh no man i do the same thing and uh i like to do it with blues i like to take a, a standard like an autumn leaves i've been like riffing them autumn leaves you know for the last week I don't know, for yeah. some reason, I heard it sometime. Uh, I, I wasn't a kick on uh, uh, Stella by Starlight for a long time, you know, sort of like going through the changes and then trying to improvise over yeah. them as I'm like, I don't know, driving or, or yeah. I don't know, you know, doing something else. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's so cool, man, that you mentioned that. I, I thought I was the only one that did that. All the time. In fact, when I'm going to sleep, it's a problem. When I lay down, if I'm doing it, I have to finish before i can possibly fall asleep like it's it'll just keep going and going and going <laughs> yeah man i know man i know exactly what you're talking about exactly what you're talking about that's so cool that's cool man um all right i'm gonna modify this question to fit you so when you started playing not when you started playing but after you've been playing for a while when did you start to feel like maybe you started to find a voice on the guitar that was maybe your own voice and as an addendum to that, when when you were in the minors, when was the moment when when you felt like like it clicked together and you thought I can succeed at this? You know what I mean? Hmm. Okay, so I think probably the huh probably that the minor league question might be easier to answer. I think it was not until my 
perhaps second year in the big leagues when I thought that uh, second second or third year in the okay. big leagues when I thought that I really had what it took not to get there but to stay. I mean, yeah, uh, there's a lot of people that get to make it. The trick is not to make it. The trick is to, to make it for a long period of time. Yeah. That's when you get the contract. Is that how, that's when you get the, the, the deals and the gigs. Yeah. Uh, so I think that uh, there was a time where uh, I think probably 93 when the Yankees traded for Paul O'Neill. Mm-hmm. They put him in right field in 93. They uh, traded Roberto Kelly out of center fielder. And then they said, hey, this is your position to win or lose you know we're gonna we're gonna you know get you out there in center field uh and that's when i thought you know that from the team standpoint uh they have given me they have entrusted me with the uh uh, um yeah yeah with the um i guess you know the 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 task of playing with center field the music stuff is a little bit trickier uh because I am, I've been working on trying to get my voice for a long time (laughs) and i think that people that listen to me play they say yeah i can actually i can actually sense you know when you're playing uh it's just something distinctive about it but i can't really tell what it is uh so i it, it is something that i maybe i do certain times and maybe maybe it might be my comfort zone when i go to you know certain things uh mm-hmm. but i think you know this is one of the things that you kind of like work your whole life to try to get you know yeah. try to get yeah. your own voice and uh you know when like when I listen to Eddie Van Halen, I know, oh, that's that's Eddie Van Halen. When I listen to Santana, I said, yeah, that's Santana. Keith Richards, I mean, yeah, I, I know these, all these, they have their originality and their voices. Uh, and that's, I mean, I think it's, it's a, it, it, it takes me, it will take me a long time to find out, I think. Interesting, man. All right, number six. Again, I'll make it a two-parter. What, what do you consider your biggest weakness as a guitar player? And what do you think your biggest weakness as a baseball player was? Uh, sometimes my head get, gets in the way. <laughs> Interesting. Both for both? Yeah, I think so. I think <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I was more of a cerebral kind of uh, uh, guy uh, when I was playing baseball. I made sure that I took care of everything that I needed to take care of, even though the sport is one that uh, – a lot of it has to do with you know chances yeah uh, and you have no idea what's going to happen at a certain moment but you work try to work like a chess player all the possibilities so mm-hmm. one of them is going to fit it fit in your situation when it happens so you try to work on all of them or the most you know most most of the of what you can uh to make sure that when you encounter one that you're familiar with you act naturally uh yeah. And uh, it's it's kind of like you know the same way <laughs> in music, uh, but uh, I don't know, man. Uh, music is a little bit different uh, for me because I think you have more control in music what you get out. Sure. Uh, of uh, in baseball, I had no uh, no control over a pitcher, you know, making a pitch in the black or the umpire calling a bad pitch on me, or mm-hmm. you know. Uh, the, the, you know the ball getting in the, in the sun and me losing it right in the in the sun. There's a lot of variables that I couldn't control. Uh, so you have to uh, really focus on your approach, not necessarily on the results. Uh, but in music, you know, the more you put into it, the the results are going to get better and better and better and better. And you have this sort of a kind of like a di- directly proportional relationship between the amount of stuff that you put in and the amount of stuff that you get out. Baseball, you can you can feel great that day, man, and still strike out four times and really not know what what the heck happened here, you know. Yeah. Well, so, were you uh, really, or were you a routine guy? Like when I'm playing a gig, yeah. I have a you know not like a I'm not super idiosyncratic about it, but I like to be set up a certain amount of time before I play. Not like it's a I have to have this many minutes thing. It's more that I like to not be rushing before the first note of the gig i like to have some time in between setup and gig to sit back down and relax you know and things like that like i don't like to eat right before i play things were, were you that way uh, with the game uh well yeah in the game of baseball yes yes yeah. uh, it's kind of an interesting thing because i'll go to music uh after we say the thing about baseball but in, in baseball you uh baseball is like a fertile ground for all these superstitious people oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, i mean because when you find a routine that works for you, 
and you have got the results and you're successful, that's mm -hmm. your go-to, you know, going from like the mild people like me that have to have a drink of water before every at bat to uh, weight box that had to eat chicken for lunch <laughs> religiously, you know. Uh, so, I mean, it's, it, it has this sort of uh, big parameter of uh, superstition, uh, superstitious uh, behavior that people yeah. do just because uh, the same uh, fact that you cannot control the outcome of the game. So you have to, uh, we're alpha people. We're, you know, we want to be in control. You have to control something. So at least you control your routine and then hopefully the rest will take care of itself. Uh, uh, I, I sort of like contrast that to music in which, you know, a lot of the gigs, you know, you get an opportunity to go and, and kind of like set up, you know, your pace and you do the sound check and you kind of have some time to. But I also enjoy when I'm like rushing to a jam session and I set up and I plug in and I start playing right away, like hitting the ground running. Uh, it's like, you know, it's kind of like exciting. Hey, what are we doing? Oh, this key, okay, all right. And you start listening. And it's like, it, it, to me, that's kind of fun too. Uh, yeah. I guess it depends, you know, how, how much they're paying me to do each, each, you know, each one of those. <laughs> That's funny, man. Yeah, it's crazy. It reminds me of uh, when you were talking about it. It reminds me of the, in Bull Durham. What is it he says to the pitcher? If you think you're on a winning streak because you're not having sex, then you are on a winning streak because you're not having sex. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You, you want to stick with what works. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Number seven. Who's a huge influence on your guitar playing that people would be surprised to hear, maybe? Yeah. Huh. Uh... I'll probably say Scott Henderson. <laughs> I'm not surprised because I knew this, but but other people would probably be surprised to hear that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I I like. I, I mean, uh, I've been a fan of his playing uh, for for. I mean, I was introduced to his playing uh, back in the day when I was really getting into. I mean, I was kind of like getting out of the sort of the rock thing mm -hmm. uh, because I I knew music structure, so I I was more gravitating to people that could play. Uh, with but more jazz vocabulary, yeah. but still have that grit in, in their you know in their sound, and mm -hmm. and I you know somebody started you know uh, uh, talking to me about Scott Henderson and Tribal Tech and all those years, and I was like, wow, you know this is kind of like the sound that I, it's it's kind of cool you know to my ears, and yeah. all these you know like great uh, vocabulary, bebop and all that stuff, just kind of put it in in, in uh, sort of a rocking kind of sense. It really appealed to my to my ear at that to, at that point, and uh, I've been listening to him, and 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 people like him. I mean, there's there's I mean, you probably spend a more uh, two hours talking about all the guitar players that we know. Yeah, of course. Yeah, Scott is something else, man. Something else. He's amazing. Yeah. And he's a he's a crazy dude. Funny. Yeah. Guy, <laughs> he is. <laughs> all right, uh, number eight. In a gig situation, would you rather have a great guitar and a terrible amp or the opposite, a great amp and a terrible guitar? Oh, wow. Oof, man. I mean, if you have a great guitar and a terrible amp, uh, I mean, let me let me ask you a question. Is this amp going to be mic or not? <laughs> yeah, it'll be mic. Yeah. Oh, definitely a great guitar and a terrible amp. Okay. All right. All right. I, I, you know, yeah, I, I think, you know, I trust my, I would trust my ability of make the guitar, the amp, you know, sound good uh, with, you know, maybe my fingers than having the guitar be crazy where I have no control of, you know, the notes that I'm playing and, and I could hear that, you know, <laughs> uh, very loudly. Yeah. I, I think I would like the first situation better. Interesting. See, I'm the opposite. I would take the amp all the time and play any any terrible guitar because I struggle to even with my own guitar enjoy the night through an amp that's just terrible and gives me nothing you know what I mean mm, wow wow even wow. though I've spent my whole life flying to gigs playing through rented backline amps and I'm very good at getting a sound out of whatever I yeah. still would prefer it the other way around wow wow I, yeah, man, I, I don't think I'm at that level yet. It's been split 50-50 with guys. A lot of guys have been 
they're rely a lot of guys I interview are reliant on a specific guitar for their thing. So then that's of course answers the question for them. And then everybody else it's been split kind of fifty fifty. Mm -hmm. All right, this is this is a good question. What keeps you motivated and and pushing forward to, to better yourself on guitar and and to do all this stuff you're doing now you know to put out records to tour to play it's just you know it's kind of a second career for you like you know a full-time second career you know not to say you can rest on your laurels i'm not saying oh you deserve to just retire and you know ride off into the sunset but what keeps you like motivated to treat it seriously like a a job and not a hobby what keeps you growing as a as a musician hmm. I think that um, that's, a, that's a really interesting question because when I was playing baseball, uh, everything that I got uh, in an ancillary way, like a, you know, like a side effect or a byproduct or a perk uh, was first and foremost because of the passion that I had to be the best player that I wanted to be, sure. that I could be, but because I wanted to have the respect of my peers. Not, not necessarily the fans or the critics, but the people that I would go to the trenches with and say, I can count on this guy. This guy has my back. He's a gamer. We call we call these people gamers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's like this guy's a gamer. I mean, he could be you know whatever, but you know that he's going to give you a hundred percent all the time, and he's going to have your back. And to have that kind of respect, uh, to me, that was the most valuable thing as a teammate, <clears throat> where I could call a guy. This guy's a gamer. Yeah, he's he's yeah he's good. So I always try to sort of uh, kind of make that similar, uh, try to have that similar mentality in music uh, to say it's not only having that perception, the perception of myself being the guitar player that I want to be or the people that listen to the music, perhaps they're, they're, it, the music can hit them in different ways. But I think it, my goal is to have the respect of my peers, people like maybe perhaps you, people, people like, you know, the people that have been in the business that say, yeah, this guy's a player, you know, like, like I said before, this guy's a gamer. Uh, well, you so said that's it, this guy's a player. They, that's yeah. what we say. I mean, that's what I say all the time. Somebody will ask me a question about blah, blah, blah. Actually, last night I was at the Baked Potato and I was telling my friends, I'm going to interview Bernie Williams. And they were like, what does he play like? And I said, no, he could play. Bernie could play. <laughs> oh, and, man. Yeah. You didn't specify it's baseball or music. <laughs> no, they were asking me about guitar, and it was like, yeah, Bernie can play, man. And that's the way I say it to everybody. When, when somebody asks me about somebody, it's, that guy can play or he can't play. You know, that's it. Yeah, you know? man. I think that's, I mean, to me, uh, that's, uh, that keeps me motivated because it allows me to uh, have the opportunity not only to, to talk to people like yourself, but to maybe hopefully in the, in the future have an opportunity to uh, communicate with this great language of music, you know, yeah. and, uh, you know, like, for instance, a few years back, uh, I had an opportunity to, uh, uh, um, to do uh, a tribute to uh, Dave Brubeck. Uh, yeah. They put a band together in Hartford, uh, Connecticut, and he ended up passing that same uh, week, but they went and did the, the tribute also be posthumously at that point. And I had a chance to play with Darius Brucker, uh, uh, Brubeck, I'm sorry, his, uh, his son, uh, Take Five, you know, on stage. And yeah. it, it was great, I mean, to be on stage uh, with, with this person. The next day, I'm in Long Island playing with Twisted Sister. We're not going to take it. <laughs> and I'm wearing Dee Snyder's jacket. And he's saying, yeah, you can wear it, but you have to return it because we'll find you. you know? <laughs> so it, it, to me, it's, you know, being able to uh, speak, you know, this language and speak this other dialect, you know, uh, uh, it's what keeps me going. You know, I want to be able to go everywhere in the world and play with any musician, any kind of music, uh, yeah. and uh, just have that communion. Uh, it's, I think it's a bit spiritual, I guess, in, in many ways, but, uh, uh, it, I, I think it's a, it's a, it's a really cool thing to aspire to. I mean, I don't think it's going to take me a couple of lifetimes to get there, but, uh, uh but if you, uh, when I was playing baseball, you know, said that per perfection is in impossible, but in the pursuit of perfection, you can find, you know, excellence along the way. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I'm, I'm applying everything that I know in baseball. I'm trying to apply it in music and trying to make myself the best musician that I can be. So I can get in situations like that and not feel like I'm, you know, like overmatched or, or something. What, 
what made you this is not a, one of the 10 questions I'll, I'll i'm inserting here before 10. uh are you a guy who ever gets nervous and do you get more nervous like to play a gig like that or you know some gig where you've got to play some complicated piece then you got like you know having it at bat in the world series or something like that with men yeah, on yeah and, yeah, yeah. I think nervousness is normal and I think nervousness is good because yeah. nervousness has two heads. And the one head that I always gravitate to is the one head that I get when I am nervous and prepared. Because when I'm nervous and prepared, that nervousness turns into excitement. I'm like pumped, I'm ready to go, you know? Wow. Uh, the other head, head of the nervousness is the negative way where you feel anxious and tense, tense and everything is frozen because in your mind, you don't feel like you're prepared for this. Uh, and that could have, you can have the greatest ability, but if you don't feel like you're prepared and the moment hits you right there, you're like deer in the headlights kind of thing, you know? And yeah, uh, it, yeah, it's, yeah, it's all about preparation. I, I actually co-wrote a book about it. Uh, it way, it's called The Rhythms of the Game. The way you talk about it is so much like the way that I feel. So I, I'm going on tour next week and I, I haven't toured as a sideman a lot in the last 10 years. When I moved to LA 20 years ago, that's what I moved here for was to do sessions and to be a sideman to kind of stop doing my own thing. So I used to do that all the time, get hired for a gig, learn a person's catalog, be ready to play as a sideman. But I don't really do that as much anymore. And I'm getting ready to do it again for the next couple months for the first time in a long time. So I've been having to learn these songs and I'm thinking back to like, those moments of going to play with a big artist for the first time and having to, I've done so much homework to learn all these songs and having that moment of, yeah, I'm nervous. I want to do great. But knowing I did the work, I'm prepared. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's, that's it, exactly that's what right. you're saying. Yeah. yeah that, and that's, that's the only thing that you can hang your head up, you know, your, your hat on when you're playing baseball because nothing else you can't control. You cannot control the outcome of what, even when you hit the ball, if you hit it in the screws, you still can't control where it's going to go. So yeah. you have to put that emphasis on that preparation and that gets you through and it keeps you motivated. Say, said, hey, I did everything I could and I'm going to get them again and I'm going to do the same thing again. And it yeah. keeps you going and, and you feel pumped. You know, you, you, you know, you get put that all that focus in, in your approach as opposed to the results. And mm -hmm. uh, to be able to apply that whole thing into music has a, uh, you know, served me really, really well because it keeps me going. And there's no, no ceiling that I can see that I can say, hey, I know everything that is there to know about guitar. I don't need to learn anymore. I, I found my, that, that would be the worst thing that I could ever do. Uh, yeah. So, well, because it's impossible. I mean, I've yes. been playing, like you, I've been playing guitar since I was six years old. That's 35 years. You know, you'll, you'll never learn it all. It's like there's something every day I hear something or think of something that makes me want to pick it up to work on. What's this idea that I'm having or what did I just hear on the radio or whatever? I, I got to learn that, you know, yeah. every day. I hope it never goes away. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah, that's exactly the way that I feel. Man. Yeah, man, when you when you like just sit down and, and whatever, when you close your eyes and think back on specific baseball moments, is there is there a year or a moment that always is the first one that pops into your head like a certain year championship or or like home run against the orioles the walk-off or against the red sox walk-off like which which moments pop in first you know wow um there's so many man it's so so uh it's it's not fair uh to try to answer that question in in, in one answer i okay i, have, I was curious I have, if there was like one that always popped in there right away I, I don't know. I mean, it depends on, on you know, who and, and why am I talking? I have fun, uh, really funny moments. I have like really solemn moments. I have really serious moments. Uh, I think you know, one, funny, uh, uh, one uh, funny moment was in Oakland. I was uh, bases loaded. I was hitting and I was battling this guy. I think it was Steve Oakers, I think. Okay. He throws me a fork ball and I let it go. And I start walking to first base thinking that I'm walked with yeah. bases loaded. And, the, you know, I hear people yelling at me. I look at the dugout and everybody's laughing. I look at the, you know, the crowd and they're just yelling at me. And I look at the umpire. He's like doing this. It's because the count was 3-2. Yeah. Uh, I hadn't walked, but I started walking like I was, like I was walked. And then, uh, I mean, everybody just calling me all kinds of names. 
Uh, the next pitch that the guy throws, I hit it out for a home run. Yeah. <laughs> As I'm yeah. rounding the bases, I'm laugh I'm the one laughing. You're laughing. The stadium yeah. goes like really, uh, you know, like really silent, and the umpires are like going like this. You're you're such a tool. Uh, so that was a funny mo uh, a funny moment. And then I had a moment, uh, you know, as a baseball player, you know, going and consoling some uh, person that had lost uh, a loved one in 9/11 at the Armory in New York, uh, and uh, you know, uh, it, it, it is. I mean, it go it runs the whole gamut from like hilarious to like very very deep, and uh, you know, uh, and everything in between. Uh, it was just a very very rich career full of never a dull moments you know so i, I mean I, i'll be really unfair if i could just mention just one that's a yeah yeah it, i get it it's tough it's tough man i i mean i can't imagine that 2001 season you know i remember seeing that you guys you know and uh i remember tori talking about you hugging that that person at the armory yeah and and how that like opened the door for everybody to kind of start <laughs> yeah, man, that was. I mean, and I had no idea that, that you know we had that sort of influence in in the community. Yeah. For me, yeah. I mean, it was all about hitting the ball and, and throwing it and, and winning championships and just being in my own little bubble. Uh, and then when you start looking at things like that and you start realizing how insignificant your job is, you yeah. know, you know, you throw a ball and you hit it for crying out loud. You know, you get you know emergent medical people, doctors, you know, nurses, first responders that are really putting their lives on the line, and the victims. I mean, you know, so it, it was a really great uh, eye opener, and yeah. uh, you know, like a wake up moment. You know, it's like you know, you 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 have a role on this, and you got to do it to the best of your ability. So it was it was great. I'm very proud of that, being part of that. Dude, it's I mean, you're an inspiring guy. It's an amazing career in general and just to see i mean i can see in some ways we're similar because you're very you're kind of serious about when you when you love something you do it the best you can you dedicate yourself to it and that's inspiring to me man to to have excelled at the things to the level that you excelled at your career and to excel at music the way that you do i mean that's some it's inspiring stuff so it leads me to like the last question is where do you want to be five years from now like what? What? What's next? What do you want to happen? What? What's? What's your dreams now? You know. Well, I, I think that I am uh, in a, in a good place. You know, I, like I said, I was so blessed to have the opportunity to play baseball and retire at the at the time that I did, yeah. uh, with a little bit of money, so I can just have a lot of energy. The rumor has it that I, I used my baseball career to fund my music career. <laughs> <laughs> it was all a means to an end. But in all seriousness, uh, to the time that I've uh, uh, allowed myself to actually pursue this in a serious fashion has allowed me to uh, really put a, a, a plan of action in which I do a lot of stuff with, uh, you know, trying to give uh, kids the opportunity to be involved in music and arts because I knew how important it was for me. So I'm really involved in the, with the NAM Foundation, Little Kids Rocks, and, and, and organizations of that, now, Turnaround Arts, uh, just you know, trying to make an effort to bring uh, music and arts uh, more in the forefront in our education system in this country. I think it, you, know, you have to, you know, being in a, uh, going to a performing arts high school, know how important that was in, in, in our lives. So uh, you know, making an effort to do that and to have, especially the underprivileged children, uh, because I was one of those. Uh, you know, I have the, you know, I was lucky to have my mom being a teacher, uh, but we weren't rich and uh, some of these opportunities, you need to fund them uh, because they all cost money. So uh, uh, doing that is a, a really important thing in my life and, and pursuing my, my uh, I don't know if I could call it a career, but it's, you know, my journey in this musical thing. Uh, I, I'm always very excited uh, when I pick up my guitar and I, and, and I discover something new. And I, you know, have an opportunity to go uh, and see people that I admire and uh, maybe perhaps play with them. So my, my thing is I want to be all over the world playing, you know, playing music, you know, trying to make a, uh, I don't know, a little bit of a, a list of all these cool places in the, all over the world that I want to play at and uh, book, a, book a session, book a, book a night. And hopefully yeah. the, my reputation will precede me, not necessarily yeah. for the sports side, but for the, for the yeah. music side and uh, fulfill my dream of being a, a traveling musician. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Well, 
I mean, you're obviously you're kind of doing it already, but I'm sure it will. Yeah, just man, I, 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 I'm, and yeah. I, I mean, having an opportunity to, you know, uh, uh, you know, talk to, you know, people like yourself that I've always admired through the years. Uh, and uh, uh, it, it's always I mean, it's great because then you, you get this sort of hint that you're in the right track. You know, you're doing the right thing and you're getting noticed uh, by people that are important and that people that I consider important, which is it, it's a great treat. Uh, and, uh, you know, looking forward to the opportunity to, uh, you know, you know, maybe, you know, meet and maybe perhaps jam or have a drink together or coffee together or something, and, you know, being part of this great community, man. It's a, you know, once you get to a certain level of, um, uh, you know, musicians, it's, it, you know, everybody knows everybody in, in that world, you know? Yes, sir. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, trying to, you know, at least, you know, be familiar with that kind of, uh, environment would be certainly something that would not hurt my uh, my career and uh, my aspirations to become the best musician that I can be. So I really appreciate that, and uh, you are certainly an inspiration to me as well. Well, thank you, man. That's that's really kind of you. And dude, please, next time you're in LA, hit me up. You got to come to the studio. Let's record something. Let's do something. You know? Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, uh, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'm in. I'll take your word for it, man. Yeah, and I'll I'll be in New York in in November if you're around. I'll, I'll send okay. you a message. Yeah. yeah, please do. I mean, I'm playing uh, with my uh, with my band at uh, Daryl's house November nice. 10th. Nice. Uh, uh, so yeah, it's a killer band, man. I call it the Bernie Williams Collective. Uh, nice. A lot of great people: Joe Rosenblatt, Chris Clark, Dave Anderson. Uh, yeah, a lot of great people, man. So nice. uh, yeah, you have an open invitation if you're around. Uh, <laughs> But if not, man, we'll meet, you know, have, you know, have a drink and uh, have a little jam and uh, just have a great time. Well, dude, thank, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, I mean, this was a, a pleasure for me. Like, uh, I'll have links to uh, all things Bernie Williams on, underneath the video here. So if you can uh, help any of the charities, if you can help Little Kids Rock and any of these things that Bernie is involved with. I mean, he's, you're doing so much great stuff. Also, buy Bernie's music. Go listen to his records. You know, he's got some great stuff out there. Dude, th thank you for this, man. This was a pleasure. Oh, thank you so much, man. And one last thing, a little shout out to uh, Crystal Morris from Gator Cases. Yes. Kind of put this whole thing together. Uh, yeah. And i uh, very grateful for that. So uh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. You're welcome, man. All right. Uh,